All right, everyone, welcome to the Above Average Football Fan Podcast for above average football fans and below average football fans who want to learn more about the game, or if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, here we are for Season 2, Episode 13 of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan. I am here with my good buddy. He just got done celebrating the big victory for UConn over Yale last Saturday. He's a big UConn fan, Thomas Bowen. Huskies, Huskies. I knew my Huskies were going to get it done against the uh, – I don't even know what Yale's mascot <laughs> is, man. I think they're a bull- – are they the Bulldogs? Sure. We'll go with that. Huskies yeah. over the Bulldogs. Perfect. Feels Whatever. Right. Feels right. <laughs> stick with it. All right. Didn't and, – and this is completely throwing us way off kilter here. We didn't even discuss this. Skip Holtz, before he came to Carolina – was he the head coach at UConn? Ooh, that's a good question, um, and that's digging deep in the archives there. Like that? I, we're, yeah, we're talking like 98, 99 or something. Yeah, I don't know. You're going to have to come back to me on that. I'm, I'm currently working the Google machine right now to see how to figure <laughs> it out. But anyway, all right, so speaking of what the world, because that was a what the world comment, what the world happened to Michigan State against Purdue – and then Cincinnati, you came away with the win, but oh my God, Tulane or Tulsa is three and five. Bama struggled against a really bad LSU team, and Wake loses against UNC. Wowzers. All these teams who have been saying, hey, we need more respect, minus Bama. We need more respect. We need more respect. Did not do so hot last Saturday, Bowen. What the world? Tell us what you think there. No, you know, it's it's really crazy. And then you, you see all, all, all of the chaos that happened last weekend, and then you see the new CFP rankings come out and um, and can't wait to get into those because that was crazy, especially the, the weight game where UNC just came alive and that was just a boat race yeah. with Wake losing that one 58 to 55. Right. Um, Michigan State looked like a shell of themselves. That was that was not the same team that beat Michigan. Um, you know, re- respect to Purdue, but but it, it's still yeah. Purdue is a ranked team now, but they weren't whenever they went into that game. So it's a bad loss. Here's a fun fact: Purdue plays the Ohio State University this Saturday. Can they make it three for three of ruining? Big Ten, you know, playoff champion <laughs> with Iowa, Michigan State, and now Ohio State. If there ever was, if there ever was a weekend for a, a hangover game, as we like to call it, they're probably going to get smoked off the field against Ohio State. Yeah, Ohio State's not letting themselves have that happen. All right, just to circle all the way back. Yes, he was at UConn. Skip Holtz, that is. No, he did not win a national championship. Did take him to the playoffs. Took him to respectability, um, which they've struggled with before and since then in football. But anyway, um, yeah, and then Wake, which was just a weird situation where it was two ACC teams playing each other, two charter members of the ACC, but it wasn't actually a conference game, which is just the most ACC thing ever. Um, And I just don't get it. I mean, I do, but holy cow, what a ridiculous situation that is. Yeah, it, it did. It didn't make any any sense to me how they just said, "Well, I I don't know. Maybe I need to understand it more." But they basically said, "Hey, we need um we need 
to beef up the, the non-con portion of our schedule. So we're just going to say this is a non-conference game. You're still in the same conference. But see, that's not how I understood it. I, I understood it to be they are now on two separate sides of the um, the bracket, so to speak, kind of like Atlantic and Coast. Yeah. yeah. And because of that, they wouldn't play each other each year. They would be on a rotation. So they wanted to continue to play each other each year. So when they're not scheduled to play each other on the conference schedule, they're still playing each other, just it's a non-conference game. Yeah, so I guess, I guess the, 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 the key point there is it's a non-conference game, air quote, for purposes of conference standings. Correct. Right? It'd be like if, you know, when Oklahoma and Texas joined the SEC East, if they bumped Auburn over to the SEC East – and so Bama and Auburn weren't scheduled to play each other each year. In order to keep their rivalry going, they might do that, but that wouldn't happen. I mean, it's just the most ridiculous thing of all time. But anyway, that's beside the point. Speaking of Bama, they did not look great. Um, LSU, which talked about a shell of yourself, which has really just gone out and laid eggs and eggs and eggs, had a chance to win that ball game late and really probably could have pulled it off and should have pulled it off. Yeah, it was uh, this. This Bama team is weird, man. It's uh, I mean, going back to the A and M game, which was really just like a, a perfect storm. But still, this Bama team does not look like teams of past years. And I don't know if it's if it's youth and they don't have some of that senior leadership that they always rely on, and those guys that have been there forever. But I, I definitely don't think it's Saban because Saban stays on top of his game. He evolves. He's he's very good at that. I mean, surely at some point. Saban has to start declining a little bit, if nothing else, in just mental capacity. I mean, the dude is, is a savant at this point. Yeah. But it's weird. It's a weird Bama team. It's very strange, very strange, which leads us into discussion overall of college football rankings right now. Georgia is number one. We're going to talk about them today. They are the uh, game of the week with Tennessee at, uh, down in Nashville. Excuse me, not Nashville, down in Knoxville. Apologize, Vols fans. Um, but Georgia's number one. I'm sure that's pretty unanimous across the board for everybody. Bama is two. Oregon is three. Ohio State is four. Cincinnati is five. Michigan is six. Michigan State is seven, which we're going to talk about how ridiculous I find that in just a minute. <laughs> and then uh, we'll go down and stop at number eight with Oklahoma. So, you know, to me, Thomas, the first thing I got to say about these rankings and just this season in general, and this is kind of stepping on my prediction for Georgia-Tennessee, it feels like it is 100% Georgia and then like four football fields and then the rest of us. Yeah. And, I mean, they are on another plane than everybody else. Like this is, this is like the Bamas of the past where we've just gone, okay, just give them the trophy. Like it's, it's, it's going to happen. And – you know, I know Georgia fans are, are have been heartbroken so many times before, but th- they just look like a class by themselves. Um, so, Thomas, I, I won't step on it too long here, but just I'm going to have to rant for a second. And I heard that the chairman actually said, you know, when we looked at them against one another, Michigan versus Michigan State, we just had Michigan as a better football team. Did you? They lost to Michigan State. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm okay. I've, I've looked at this every way that I can, and and honestly, being objective about it, I see both sides of it. So, so you've got 
you've got the head-to-head, right? They've sure. got identical overall records. You're sure. talking about Michigan, Michigan State. Identical overall, identical Big Ten records, but Michigan State owns the head-to-head, right? Head-to-head needs to matter. On the flip side of that, they each have one loss. Now, Michigan State arguably had a worse loss to Purdue because sure. Michigan lost to Michigan State, of course. So it's really it's really a matter of what do you want to put more weight on, how, how good or bad the loss was or that head-to-head matchup. I, I, to me, like, they played each other. One team beat the other. Like, <laughs> I I, I, I I totally understand what you're saying. I really do. Like when you look at the overall totality of it, but like when the commissioner came out and said, well, when we compared the two, it just felt like Michigan was a better team. I wanted to just like throw something at the TV and be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, yeah. Maybe- yeah. And the, the good thing is the good thing is that, you know, this, this is all just for show and, and, and entertainment fodder right now, because as you and I were talking about before the show here, the 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 Big Ten piece is gonna work itself out because Absolutely. Michigan has to close the season with Ohio State. <clears throat> Michigan State has Ohio State two weeks from now, so they're all gonna cannibalize themselves. That's right, it'll end up working itself out in the long run. But that just baffled me. Um, you know, what do you make? of Oklahoma this year. They are undefeated. They've made a quarterback switch that no one at the beginning of this season would have predicted. Um, Spencer Radler, you know, another one like DJ at Clemson who went from Heisman hopeful to, I mean, DJ still starting, but not looking great. Spencer Radler is now riding the bench, supposedly looking at the transfer transfer portal and uh, all of those things. So what do you, what do you, what's your take on the Sooners right now? So I'm I'm always I've always been a uh, you know undefeated. I'm looking at the record. Of course, you, you got to give credit where credit's due. At the same time, they have struggled really badly. Um, it's been some some ugly wins. They struggled against Kansas of all teams. That that is probably one of their worst struggles on the season I would say so it's just it's hard to put a lot of stock into it but again this is another one that's going to work itself out if they just went out and do what they're supposed to do they're in complete control of their own destiny yeah I agree I mean just take care of business and you're fine um is there is there their new quarterback his last name is Williams is that right yeah Caleb Williams Caleb Williams yeah I saw so I saw somewhere he was already listed on the Heisman like voting. And I was like, this guy's played three games. Like, let's. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, he hasn't been lighting it up that much. Right. I mean, hadn't been I mean Michael he's had some Vick. good games, but. Yeah, hadn't been yeah. Michael Vick's redshirt freshman year or redshirt sophomore year when he just lit it on fire and took him all the way to the championship against um, the Seminoles. But like, yeah, that I saw that and I was like, whoa, pump the brakes. You know, when I look at these, again, when I look at these top four, it, you know, Bama is is perfectly is, is definitely not a perfect team by any stretch of the imagination. Not like you said, the Bama of old. Oregon, their you know their big signature win right now is Ohio State, which is right behind them at four. You know, because that makes sense because they beat Ohio State. That's why they're ranked <laughs> ahead of them. Touche, touche. Um, but you know, they also have that bad loss on their record, um, two time or two overtime loss to Stanford. Um, you know. Cincinnati is undefeated, but I mean, wow. You had game day in Cincinnati. You you had everybody watching, ready to crown you. Hey, you guys deserve it. Let's go, Bearcats. 
And wow, what was it? A fumble on the one yard line to end it? Like, yeah, I, I think so. And, and I think it's, you know, Cincinnati still moved up a spot because essentially what happened, as we said, Michigan State dropped out and all of right. those chunk teams moved up. But right. I really don't think, I mean, that's as high as Cincinnati's going to go. I, I really don't think they're going to get any higher. I mean, something just absolutely catastrophic would have to happen um, yes. at the top. Um, but and 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 honestly, man, listen, I, I'm I'm an underdog kind of guy. I mean, I'm a Gamecock fan for all for, for God's sakes. But uh, like they, yeah, I, I'm, I was I was ready to stand on the soapbox and and cheer for the Michigan or for the Cincinnati Bearcats, but uh, not after last week's performance. Um, not, not, not there. Uh, still a good football team. Don't get me wrong, but not, not final four material right now. All right. So Thomas put a bow on it for listeners on your thoughts on the the rankings and and where we stand with that. I think, uh, I I think, I think they're about right for now. Like I said, it's, it's going to work itself out, but, but this, this has definitely been, if there ever was a case, for expanding this playoff, it's probably going to be this year. Um, but, you know, it's uh, every which way I look at it, whenever I look at the top four and I look at the possibilities that can be in there, I still have Georgia coming out on top Absolutely. 10 times out of 10. Absolutely. And, and you know, that's just, I mean, great for Georgia. You know, it is, it is still kind of fun to watch them dominate. I mean, they are to that point where it's just domination. We'll talk more about that in, in a few minutes here uh, on, on how Tennessee can, can try and prevent that. But it's been, it's been fun to watch at times. All right, we're going to get into our games. Uh, we mentioned UConn at the top of the show. Well, that's because UConn is playing Clemson, which Thomas had to remind me of because I was ready for Clemson Wake, and uh, that's, <laughs> that's coming soon. So looking ahead, looking ahead. Um, UConn and Clemson, UConn's one and eight with that big win against Yale. And, uh, you know, Thomas, you and I both kind of talked before the show, no disrespect, UConn. We were having trouble finding a whole lot of tape, finding a whole lot of things to break down. We're going to just breeze right through this one, call it a Clemson win. Um, Clemson needs to look good, play, get healthy, play healthy, get some confidence to finish out the year here in this game. Yeah, this is uh this is a tune-up game or a get-right game for Clemson. Uh, they should be they should get on them early and and really take care of this team and get some young guys in there and just try to stay healthy. That's really the goal in these games is come out of them healthy. Absolutely, but here's here's my here's a question that literally just popped in my head. If you're the Clemson coaching staff, yeah, you want to get up big, rest your starters, but do you rest DJ? Like to me, I mean, granted, you don't want to get him hurt, but he needs to show me something or I'm telling the backup who's already gotten some time this year. Hey bud, here's your chance. Like, you know, dominate, show us that, that you need to be out there. Um, you know, Oklahoma's made a switch, you know, Davos Sweeney's made a switch before he made the switch. I mean, granted it was Trevor Lawrence and, and all of those things, but you had a true freshman and, um, you had Kelly Bryant who was a senior or a junior, you know, skilled guy. So they made that switch once before. So I, I, you got to be thinking about it. But anyway, um, moving on, Carolina versus Mizzou in Missouri, Columbia, Missouri. This is for the Battle of the Columbia Cup. You know, one of the most coveted trophies in college football. My uh, tongue is firmly in my cheek on that one. Um, it's not. Um, it's just, you know, a fun little thing. So I'm going to just start start off by talking a little bit about Carolina last week. First off, what a performance by Jason Brown. Just comfortable, 
showed that you hear all the time about guys who have it. And, you know, you can't really put your finger on it. You can't say it's this or it's that, but they got it. And, and at least against Florida on Saturday in Williams-Brice, he had it. He, he had that sixth sense that he could sense pressure coming. He stepped up in the pocket. He looked confident. He was having fun and laughing and just looked like a whole other football team with him out there on offense. And, you know, I really was impressed by that, was hoping for it. Um, and, and was great. Josh Van, you know, wow. Josh Van and Josh, uh, and, and Jason Brown got to be hanging out a lot this week because wow. I mean, they, they really found a connection there. That was a healthy Kevin Harris. We had not seen a healthy Kevin yes. Harris until this, this week. That was a healthy Kevin Harris. Um, I would say the same about Mar- Marshawn Lloyd. That was a healthy yeah. Marshawn Lloyd for the first for time. Sure. Um, you know, and, and Zaquandre White has looked good, finally got his chance to get the ball more. And and somebody said this either on Twitter or something, that dude runs angry. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. He runs like it's his last chance. And God knows they've taken him off the field so many times, he might think it's his last chance. But he is running with a purpose and a chip on his shoulder, and I absolutely love it. And I think he's – I think I think – Z's been a little banged up too. So yeah. honestly, this was this was the first week that I think our entire running back room was as healthy as it's been. Absolutely. And Juju got his chance in there as well, scored on a um little wildcat. We're gonna talk about that decision. Love here that. Love that. Um, you know, so here's the thing: offensive line looked much better upon first viewing. Um, you know, I don't know what the calls are. I don't know what the calls at the line of scrimmage might be. I will say we looked less confused, and but that doesn't mean we didn't miss assignments because we did. Here's the thing. We ran a lot more gap scheme, a lot more power, counter, duo. And regardless of what Marcus Satterfield said today, apparently he got up there at his press conference and we called the same plays. Like, no, you no, didn't. No. Yeah, no, 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 you didn't. Like, I, I just, just stop it. Like, I don't know if he thinks that's coach speak or what, but like, you, you just didn't like, you don't have to be an expert or a slightly above average football fan to notice the difference in calls that were made uh, uh, in the Florida game. A lot more gap. Here's the thing, gap and pro, uh, power style running. We've talked about this before. You have an assignment, you have a guy, you, and you and your teammate, you, if you're the guard and the tackler center and the guard, you may double be predetermined to double team a player that really to me, is easier to learn. And some teams are better at gap than they are at zone. To me, the biggest advantage of zone blocking is no matter what the defense does, you're as long as you take your steps and do your job, you're going to be right. Great. That's great. But here's where the problem comes in, is when somebody gets beat, especially at the college level, because if I'm the backside on a zone block and I'm the backside guard and I get blown up and my my running back sees a gap or a a lane and he's cutting back and I get blown up. He's not accounting for that. And he goes straight into a meat locker of guys waiting for him. When you have a gap scheme where there's a true play side and a true backside, there's, in my opinion, you know, I, somebody might tell you how crazy I am. I think there's more room for error, particularly on the backside. As long as I go to where I'm supposed to go, if I get beat, my my offense my my running back can still be an athlete and make a play. It's just there's more certainty to it 
in my opinion, and our backs and our lines seem to be more comfortable and confident in that scheme. And we got to see more of it. And we did against Florida and we got to keep going with it. Go ahead. Do you, th- do you think there's uh, – I don't know if you heard this or not, and I, and I think I heard this on the radio today, but apparently also in that game for maybe the first time this season, they let Eric Douglas, the center, call pretty much the whole game the protections, and they told Jason Brown, said, if you absolutely need to check out of some protection scheme, do it, but let Eric Douglas call it. Let the center call it. And I agree. I think something was going on. I was going to point that out because on three different occasions, I saw Eric turn around and sort of put his hand up behind him to Jason, like, hey, chill. I got this. Like, you know, leave it, leave it be or give me a second to adjust things before you call for the ball. He was one. Eric Douglas was 100 percent, in my opinion, in charge of those those protections. He was making the calls, which is the way it should be, in my opinion. And it wasn't like Brown was overstepping. I just loved that he seemed to have the power to say, hey, don't snap the ball yet. Let me talk to my guys and let's get this right. And then they went. And I I loved that. And I think that's how it needs to be. Um, And again, even with that being the case, on pass pro, we knew where we were going. We didn't have those free runners as much, but we still got beat at, at times. The the touchdown to Josh Van in the back of the end zone when he could have, you know, Gamecock football, shout out to Gamecock football Twitter for their video. Thomas, if you hadn't seen that yet, it is absolutely great. hilarious. Um, but he had to spin out and make a play there because the right tackle got owned. He made a cardinal sin in pass pro and ducked his head and got his weight for it, and that end just whipped him. And But Jason Brown stayed calm, stayed collected, and had the presence – it was that I feel, I don't know what other word to use that it factor. He let him suck in just enough. Oh, you're going to sack me. Whoop, backspin. No, you're not. And that's not teachable. You can teach that drill where he comes and you spin out the backside. Sure. You teach that all day, but not in game situation. And he just, it was a thing of beauty. Um, so we got beat at times. There was actually one play I, I watched a couple times uh, on replay Gwen, our, our guard, gets beat. I can't tell if he blocked. It's just hard to tell from the camera angle. He blocked the wrong guy or he just missed his guy. But I think we got a positive play out of it. And he and Gwen, he and Brown are turning and talking to each other and they're laughing. And Brown's got this face, like look on his face like, bro, that was your guy. What are you doing? <laughs> You're killing me. And like, but it was a it was a a fun, loving, like, hey, I got you type thing. Not like a quarterback getting on his guard for missing. And that is what I think he brings to the table, along with some escapability and some good arm talent. Here's the thing. You want my total crackpot theory on why we haven't seen Jason Brown yet this year, Tom? Oh, can't wait to hear this. Get your tinfoil helmet ready. All right? Josh Brown, I'm I'm sure you – or Jason Brown, I'm sure you've seen – the, the Twitter video or social media video of him being Bobby Boucher and, and, and doing the funny, you know, goofing around stuff. He's a class clown. He likes to make people laugh. He's a jokester. The what, things we hear about Marcus Satterfield is he's this kind of uptight, serious dude. I don't think he likes his quarterback being silly. So <laughs> I don't think he loved this guy who's making jokes in the huddle or, you know, cutting up on the sideline. I don't think he thought he was taking it serious. That's just me. That's just me. But there was a lot. I think about that famous story. You may or may not have heard it of 
Joe Montana in the Super Bowl with the 49ers, and he tells his offensive lineman in the huddle they're driving to get to try and score a touchdown for half or something. And he gets in the huddle, and Montana looks at his, his team and goes, Dude, did y'all know John Candy's here? I just saw him in the stands, like the actor, John <laughs> Candy. And they're all kind of like, Joe, what the hell are you talking about? We're playing in the Super Bowl. Like, who notices that? And I kind of feel like Jason Brown's kind of got that that mentality of like, you know, I'm just out here having fun, you know? And and I see that when he was talking to Gwen and they're, you know, kind of goofing around with him. You know, my theory is that Satterfield didn't feel like he was taking it serious enough. And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna read a quote verbatim from the press conference today that um uh, Clayton White said. So this was on Josh Brown. Uh, Jason Brown. I keep saying Josh Brown. Jason Brown. <laughs> he said, on Jason Brown, he said, to me, Jason's always been able to showcase his talents, run around, and sling the rock. He's been working hard. It was great to watch him play. It was awesome. Feels to me like Clayton's saying there, yeah, we, we, we kind of talk in the defensive room every once in a while, and we're going, why isn't this guy playing more? That happens in coaching staffs. That happens. You got the defense guys going, hey, man, when the special the offense is sputtering, hey, man, why is that guy not out there at quarterback? Just saying. I'm just saying. And the final thing I'm going to say, and then we'll talk about what we need to do against Missouri. You know, there's been some stuff that I disagree with that has come out this week of, like, fans saying, this just proves that Marcus Satterfield doesn't know what he's doing or Shane Beamer doesn't know what he's doing. This guy should have been out there the whole time. Quarterbacks get overlooked a lot of times. And there are players, there are players that in practice, if you just watch them practice, they're not going to superly impress you. You're not going to be like, oh, wow, man, look at that. But then they get in a game and they can, they have that it factor. And for one week anyway, <clears throat> Jason Brown had that, that it factor. And people say, how could you overlook him? And I, I'm going to get blown up by you maybe for this, you know, Every team in the NFL skipped over this guy named Tom Brady. No, you didn't. I did. Did you just compare him to Tom Brady? I compared the situation, not the player. (laughs) (laughs) Let me put a a, 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 a little special note there. Tom Brady went in the sixth round, the 199th pick. There were six quarterbacks, seven quarterbacks taken before him. So all those GMs, all those head coaches, all those quarterback coaches, all those scouts – looked at this guy who was eventually who he is and said he ain't great. So I say that I'm not saying Jason Brown is Tom Brady. I'm not saying Jason Brown is Tom Brady. But <laughs> I'm saying it happens. People get overlooked. And, and I think the indictment there is, is a little bit of a stretch. So what do we need to do this week against Missouri? Keep doing what you did against Florida and keep to power, keep the gap, keep to that scheme Give, give reads, get him out on the edge, get Jason on some spots where he can make some plays with his legs. The one adjustment I think we've got to make, a lot of times, Thomas, we would motion the tight end from one side to the other and get that mm-hmm. numbers advantage and then yep. run that way. Teams are going to start <coughs> stacking that side of the line and following that tight end. you got to know that's coming and be ready to, to go ahead and call the counter away from that. You know, use power a couple of times into that and then hit that counter back because that ought to expose their underbelly there. That's the big thing I want to see. And it's the thing that I haven't seen yet from Marcus Satterfield. And we've talked about this a bunch. The one-two punch. Where's the second punch? You know, where's the combo? Where is that, okay, 
we know they're going to do, they're going to predict that we're going to do this. We got to catch them not looking. That's what I need to see. All right, Thomas, before I compare Jason Brown to any more elite quarterbacks, <laughs> will you tell us what Mizzou is going to do to stop this future Hall of Famer? <laughs> well, you know, th- this, uh, this Missouri defense has been pretty, pretty maligned all season. Um, They've been run all over. If, if, if there was a week that, that South Carolina can take advantage of a defense and, and run it all over them, this, this is definitely that week. Um, so if I'm Missouri, I'm, I'm still loading the box. I, I want to stop the run. And if you watch the way that they played Georgia last week, they sold out to stop the run mm-hmm. against Georgia. And early in that game, Georgia had trouble running it up the middle, but it's because they were selling out for it. It wasn't until later in the game when Georgia started hitting the edges and running those counters and those zone counters, like you were mentioning earlier, that they started having success. Um, so really loading the box, stop the run. I'm going to bring edge pressure again uh, because I think South Carolina is going to try to hit the edges there. If, if last week was any indication, um, Josh Van, you got to take care of him. Uh, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I talked about bracket coverage. I'm probably running some bracket coverage on Van, which may be some under over. So you've got that one DB underneath route, and then you've got safety help or, or another DB on the back end there. Um, finally, I'm, I'm going to stay in, in an under zone coverage. I want to try and shut down those underneath routes because when South Carolina does go to the air, I think it's going to be a lot of swing passes, screen passes, some of those intermediate routes, and I really want to shut those down. Yeah, dude, I agree. I agree there. I really do. And even with them trying to load the box, I think Vanderbilt rushed for, what, 250-plus on this yeah. defense? And yeah. yeah, that's, I mean, granted, hey, we only beat Vanderbilt by one point, but, I mean, that's something to keep in mind. All right, Missouri on offense. Thomas, I've tried to look a few times. It looks like the quarterback, they're still going to have to play a backup, right? They're, the starter that's the main starter for the year is still out. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen definitive uh, explanation on that. But, yeah, I think he's still out. And it looks like, at, at least last week, it was kind of committee Cook and Macon, I believe, is that yeah, one? Yeah, Cook and Macon were the two you saw. And, and I think you might see that again. And I mean, unless you're Steve Spurrier, QB by committee is not a great situation. Um <laughs> That, so, you know, that that doesn't look great there. Their offensive line has had a lot of issues this year, creating a push and protecting the passer. Um, I got to be honest, and this is just uh, a, a situation that, you know, just a personal thing. I don't like their head coach. I just don't yeah. like him. Like, he, yeah. he bothers me. Uh, maybe it was because he was at App State when they beat us, and, and that just, you know, irks me. I, I don't know. <laughs> he just – I, I don't know. Something about the guy rubs me the wrong way. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he's a great person, but I, I'm not a fan of his. So on on offense, their plan needs to be get the ball out quick and try. You know, I look at this offensive or the different defense for Carolina. If we had a weakness, and we saw it early on against Clemson, uh, Florida, excuse me, the back end can at times get lost. Their eyes, I think, get a little bit bad, and they don't have the speed to make up for that. So I think you got to try and establish um, something up front, get there, get them looking at something and then try and hit them over the top. Um, But that's if Missouri can give time to block uh, this Carolina defensive front So Thomas, along those lines, what do you think Carolina needs to do on defense? 
You know, both of those quarterbacks, uh, they, they are somewhat of a running threat, but it's really uh, Tyler Beatty, I believe, uh, their running back who is can just torch you. He's had a couple 200-plus yard games this year. So I think first and foremost is you've got to shut down that run game. One of the things South Carolina did I saw last week in the Florida game was rolling the safeties and the cornerbacks down a little closer to the yes. line to help with that run support. I think that helped a ton because we've mentioned before – linebackers for South Carolina, particularly speed or lack thereof, is is an issue there. So I think that helped a lot. I think you're going to see some more of that this week from South Carolina. Um, I'm going to move J.J. I'm going to move him around a lot, create confusion for that struggling offensive line and try to get a lot of pressure there. Um, I did see some good things. Uh, we've been dogging on him a lot this year. I saw some good things out of Damani Staley last week. At the I was linebacker. just going to say that. Yeah, him and um, – is it Marcellus Dial? Is yes, that Marcellus pretty, Dial. Yeah, saw some good th- things out of him last week. So I'm, I'm I'm hoping that I'm hoping that they can keep that positive momentum going. This, this is on the road. It is at Missouri. It's not really known to be a super hostile place, but I'm hoping that they can keep that momentum going. Yeah, and I will say this: Marcellus Dial, um, Florida was going at him early in the in the game, and they were having some success. Mad props to him for keeping his head up and and you know getting himself right. Because he did look good at t- uh, really good at some times, and uh, you know, but Damani Staley, yeah, he he played I think his best game. Um, he's still not somebody you want covering the deep middle of the field or anything like that, or flying out to the flat to cover a, a running back on a on a wheel route or anything like that. But he he played good football. Um, all right, Thomas. Um, with all that being said, you know, Vegas, you and I were texting about this earlier this uh, today with with our buddy Patrick Nye. Shout out Nye. Um, that it you know started off. I think uh, Missouri was a what three and a half, four point favorite at home. Yeah. Then it's got down to Missouri as a one point favorite. I've seen it as Carolina as a one point favorite. So you got to almost say it's a pick 'em at this point. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. What are you thinking here? I, I hate to say it, I don't want to jinx here, but um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna give the edge to South Carolina. But I think this is gonna be a I, I think it's gonna be a little bit ugly at times, and I'm looking at like a like a 27-23 type of game. Yeah, I could see that. I, I'm also gonna give the edge, and I'm like you, I'm a Gamecock. We've seen us, you know, and, and honestly, in the past two years, we've seen it. Two years ago, we went down to Athens, pulled off the big upset there, and and. I remember you and I, that was before we started the podcast, we were doing our, our Monday email and we were, we were reeling off all the teams we were going to beat. Like, hey, man, we got this. And that certainly didn't happen. And then Auburn last year, we kind of said, all right, you know, we got we got a fighting chance and some things. And that was certainly wrong. Um, so we've been wrong in the past. But, uh, you know, the Gamecocks have done that to us in the past. I feel like in, here are my two things. I think Carolina's going to win. Here are my two cave- caveats. Marcus Satterfield has to stick to what he did last week in the run game. Also, please, and, and Juju looked better doing it than, than um, Dak has looked doing it. Stop taking your quarterback out in the red zone. Just stop doing it. Like, please, like, it's the most important part of the field. You need your quarterback in there. And listen, I'm all for Juju being in there. I'm all for him getting it on a jet sweep or putting him in the flat or, or, or even letting him run a stretch. I'm fine with him getting the ball. Stop taking your quarterback off the field. Like, stop doing it. It just we love he loves to get to the five yard line and let somebody other than the quarterback throw the ball. And I just don't understand it. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. But I, I stick, stick to that plan from last week when we came out in that ace formation with the flea flicker opening play, yeah. the flea flicker, whenever I saw him hoop it back to the quarterback, I started screaming, you better complete this pass. <laughs> yeah. If you open with an incomplete flea flicker, I'm turning the game off. Or an incomplete or an interception. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, first play better. pick lollipop down the middle of the field but uh you know did it, and hey hey jason brown did a good job there he went to the to the to the the kind of the check down route so to speak um that he didn't go deep all right so we're gonna keep going now we got carolina both to get an sec road victory there all right game of the week probably a, a pretty big game around the country uh georgia at tennessee uh we'll start off talking about the georgia plan on offense Hold on to the ball. That simple. Hold on to the ball. You know, no fumbles, no interceptions. I hate to keep making this comparison. I'm I'm just throwing out these wild comparisons today. Be the 2000 Ravens. You know, don't put your defense in a bad situation. And eat up clock. Tennessee is going to live on trying to go fast. You, The best thing that you can do to Tennessee's offense is keep them off the field. So run the ball when you can. I mean, honestly, I'm telling the quarterback from the get-go, I'm telling whoever's my quarterback, starting quarterback, I'm sure it's Bennett, don't snap the ball with, with more than five seconds on the game clock. Eat as much clock as you can. Make this a boring football game because you win this boring football game. Uh, Bennett's got to be getting the start here. We saw a little bit of JT Daniel at the end of the Missouri game. I know it was a blowout. Man, that's another guy. Like, he wasn't a Heisman hopeful, but he was kind of being taught about, you know, NFL, this, that, and the other. You know, Stinson Bennett III, future All-State, you know, or State Farm Agent of the Year, is keeping him off the field. Yeah, and I think also um, Bennett looks good. Bennett brings another element to it. I mean, the kid has some legs on him. I don't know if this is accurate or not. I have not confirmed this, but I saw earlier that he's a legit four five guy, which oh. is which is fast, and oh. he does have some wheels. I mean, you can notice he's got in game speed. Sure. But I, I never knew that he was a legit. And that was back when that was probably when he was being recruited. So that's probably stopwatch. We're not talking laser times or anything right. here, but. He brings another element to it, which is a perfect segue because Tennessee has trouble with running quarterbacks. They have trouble with mobile quarterbacks. Matt Corral ran for 1,000 yards against them. It is This game is going to be fun. You mentioned it. Georgia wants to make this thing boring, but I'm kind of excited about this game. Um, so to that end, it makes a little bit of difference who the quarterback is, but how is Tennessee going to defend Georgia? Number one, blitz. I'm selling out to stop the run. I'm blitzing early. I'm blitzing often. Um, I'm also going to run an under front with my front four. Talked about that a couple weeks ago. So that is where your your front four are shifted towards the tight end side. Mm -hmm. So Georgia likes to run a lot of beef that way. I want to shade my guys over there. I'm going to use a lot of stunts inside. Uh, Some people call them NATO or torch stunts. Really, it's your two inside defensive tackles exchanging gaps, crossing each other. That's really to to keep the offensive line off balance. Um, Something else that I've noticed that I think that Tennessee is going to do here is I'm going to combine these inside stunts with an edge blitzer. If Georgia's in a passing situation – and one of those 
one of those torch stunt guys on the inside gets free and you've got an edge rusher coming, that, that puts that running back to stay in for pass protection and conflict. He's got to decide who he's going to pick up there. Um, but I'm, I'm still going to have to blitz a fair amount. I, I'm not really confident in Tennessee's ability to get consistent pressure with the three and four man rushes. Um, definitely want to run zone coverage on the back end. Uh, that secondary is not going to be able to hold up consistently in man coverage. Um, finally, Tennessee has trouble defending some of those intermediate routes, like between the linebackers and the safeties. So I'm probably going to run a little bit of pattern matching zone there. I want to stay in zone coverage, but I want to sort of man up whenever you've got a guy in their zone. But again, I, I don't know what they can do really. Cause Georgia's just rolling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely accurate. Um, so to, to that end, that's another good segue. What what does UT try to do on offense against this this very tough Georgia defense? You know, elite Georgia defense. Um, you got to do what they've done well and what they did against Kentucky. Uh, Thomas, I don't know if you caught the beginning of that game uh, <laughs> last Saturday, but I mean, what was it? They had fourteen points in twenty seven seconds or something yeah. like that. And yeah, yeah. Score quickly, um, and. You know, they scored on the first play, didn't they? Yeah, they scored the very first play, and then they got the ball back and scored, I think, on the next play. Like, they – you know, it was two two plays, two touchdowns, something like that. But, you know, I'm taking big shots. Uh, you know, set it up, you know, play fast, play fast. Like They like to do move it up, move the ball, move the ball, move the ball, haymaker over the top. I like to call it jab, jab, hook. Hit them with that little tiny jab, 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 hook. And, you know, that's your knockout punch. And – if you can get Georgia on the ropes, so, you know, ideally what you want to do if you're Tennessee, even if you play fast and you play fast, but make it a long series of plays, 10, 12 plays, get them tired. And then if your Tennessee defense can then go three and make the Georgia offense go three and out. Now that defense is back out there, no matter how good they are, they're going to get tired. So you got to try and play fast and, and get them tired. I think, Honestly, you know, for UT, you kind of mentioned it a little bit. I, if I'm UT's defensive coordinator, I'm blitzing because I either I want the ball back. I want, you know, like I want to go, 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 go. And, you know, Carolina, to switch this back to the Gamecocks for just a hot second, you know, they scored, what was it, 13 points in Athens? And I think their most successful drives were when they played with Tempo. Um, yep. And, you know, I think that, Tempo can be the ultimate equalizer, particularly if you're very good at it, which Tennessee is very good at it. So, you know, Tennessee gave Bama a fit early on. Um, and I think could do that to Georgia. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Georgia, you know, has not, let's be honest, I guess you could say Clemson was a little bit of a test because it was low scoring, but they haven't really faced a whole lot of a test this year. You know, what what's what would this the psyche of the Georgia defense or Georgia team be if this was a three point game late in the fourth quarter in Knoxville? You know, they listen, you know, we like to joke about, you know, things and whatnot of other teams. Tennessee is a very loud place to play. And it, it's a night game, right? No, it's three thirty. Three thirty. OK, even still, they're going to be fired up and these folks are going to be loud. If you give 
Tennessee Vol fans a reason to cheer and get behind their team, they will be loud, and that energy will be strong in that stadium, in Neyland Stadium. So, you know, that would be, as a a coach, what you got to be pushing your team. You don't want to ever tell your team keep it close, but if you can keep it close in the fourth, what happens to Georgia? They haven't been there yet. And what happens if they, you know, what happens to that offense? What happens to Stinson Bennett? What happens to them if it's a three-point game or a turnover late? Um, but you got to get there. You got to get through the first three quarters to even get that chance. With all that being said, Thomas, who you got here in this game? You want me to talk about how Georgia's going to defend Tennessee first? Oh, my bad. I completely skipped over that. Uh, <laughs> you yeah. got a whole thing here, man. Yeah, do it. Do it, dude. Sorry. Notes you, failed me there. You, you, you said it perfectly earlier how, how fast how fast Tennessee is. And, and here's an interesting stat that I, that I picked up from that Kentucky game last week. Tennessee had six scoring dr- offensive scoring drives against Kentucky. Only one of those lasted longer than 60 seconds. That is insane. That's crazy fast. Um, and, and, and you're right. This, this is, I think, wouldn't you agree that this is it's safe to say this is the best passing attack Georgia's face, right? Best, maybe best offense? I, yeah. I mean, I think you could make that argument. I think you could make yeah. that argument. So as and as fast as as fast as Tennessee goes, that that offense is. Uh, you mentioned jab jab hook, or hook hook jab, whatever combo you want there. But this is predicated on that deep ball, and sometimes they take a little bit of time to develop. I'm going to sit in zone coverage all day. I'm going to let my front seven shut down UT. Right. Tennessee's offensive line leaves a little bit to be desired. South Carolina sacked Hendon Hooker like six times, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to utilize, again, some stunts and twists up front to try to get after them. I want to be very selective and picky about blitzing here. Tennessee is, as you mentioned, they're going to want to get the ball out quick, get it out to the perimeter quickly. I'm not blitzing my linebackers. I want them to be able to read and react and get out to the perimeter on those. I definitely think that that Tennessee is kind of along the lines of the plan that you said – Look for Tennessee to run that fake wide receiver screen with a deep ball over the top. They're going to want to take the top off of it, which is exactly why I'm going to sit back in zone. Finally, as much of a running threat as Hooker is, I really don't feel – if I'm Georgia, I'm not going to put a spy on him. If I'm in zone defense and the defensive line flushes him, I'm very confident in the speed of my linebackers to close on that ball. Um, so I think there's going to be a little early back and forth, but ultimately this Georgia defense is just going to be too much for them. And I I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think, I I do think you're, you're right. I haven't really put a lot of thought into it, but you're right. This is probably the best passing offense they've seen. Um, you know, I, would love to, yeah, I mean, that, that definitely is. And speed kills. I mean, it can be so difficult. Um, you know, especially if you can do it and not take guys off the field on offense so that the defense doesn't have a chance to sub. Um, <clears throat> that's the whole, that's one of the whole advantages of, uh, of playing with, yeah. with tempo is you got to be out, have the same guys out there. So defense doesn't get a chance to sub and that's huge playing defense, you know, and I'm an offensive guy, coach, player, whatever. And you play defense, to be honest, the few times I play defense, that is exhausting. You're, 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 the amount of energy you're expending on defense is so high. 
because you don't, I don't know if it's the uncertainty. I don't know what it is of, of defense, but you're, you're doing a lot. And so if you can get those guys five, six plays, seven plays, go, 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 same guys on the field, that could be an equalizer. I say all that, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I do still think Georgia's just too good. Um, their speed at linebacker, you mentioned it earlier, it, it's ridiculous. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's it just, really is. I, I, you know, you, I've, I've watched them several times this year, obviously, and they'll, somebody will throw a swing pass or a quick little wide receiver move thing, and they've got space. And you're like, oh, okay, they're going to get a little five. You know, nope. Uh, all yeah, of a sudden, Kendall. like a speeding bullet, here, here, comes, here comes their linebacker, and it's like, wow, he got one yard there? I thought for yeah. sure he'd get five or six. So, I mean, that is just a, a, a simple fact. And so, you know, I, I would be shocked if this game is, is super close. But if it is, if they find a way to do it, I think it could be interesting because Georgia hasn't been in that position yet. And if you can get them in that position late in the fourth, there is a chance maybe, you know, there's some, some issues there. They haven't done it before. Be interesting. But we'll see what happens. Thomas, as always, it was good times talking football. Everybody follow us on social media at ASAA Football Fan, at SAA Football Fan on Twitter and Instagram. The um, slightly above average football fan Facebook page is also there. You can listen to us on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. I believe I haven't checked. We're still the number one football podcast in Afghanistan. So, I mean, we got that crushing, killing it over there. Um, But definitely listen, share it. We love talking ball. Let people know about it. Thomas, tell people bye-bye. Great time as always. Looking forward to it again next week. Let's see some good football this weekend. Enjoy it.